Proverbs chapter 20. And again, I just got to say this every time. Um, some of the verses we'll be able to dive in a little deeper. Others, uh, you know, God might lead us to maybe just read through. Uh, some are self-explanatory, um, but I do encourage you to continue to read the Proverbs every day. Honestly, you know, we need that wisdom and we need constant reminders. Even in verse 1 is a common uh, truth. It says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And so wine, basically, it's kind of personified here. It's interesting. It's a mocker. It's a talker. And you guys uh, might have experienced this yourself, or maybe you've seen it with other people. When they start drinking, they start talking. They start talking loud. They start mocking. And the next thing you know, there's a strong drink involved, and then they're fighting. I've seen it firsthand all my life before I was a Christian, you know. And even my dad, I saw him get into many, many, many fights. And then it says right here, whoever's led astray by it is not wise. And so you're like, well, what do you mean led astray? Well, led astray from the path that God had for you. Led astray maybe even from uh, heaven. That's what wine can lead to. That's what strong drink can lead to. I, as far as I'm concerned, I trip out, you guys, because there's a lot of pastors, there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of Christians that, that are drinking. And I mean, we're talking about pastors drinking wine and posting it on their you know, Instagram account for everybody to see. And, and man, I'm like, man, dude, um, why would you do that? Why would you make someone stumble like that? How many people have been killed by drunk driving? How many alcoholics are there? How many? 80% of all violent crimes are committed by individuals under the influence of alcohol. So maybe, just maybe, you're uh, one of those that you can drink and you, you know, you're fine and whatever, you have a little glass of wine. But, but if someone sees you, then, you know, like I think of my kids, like if they see me drinking, maybe they can't handle it the way you can. And so the Bible talks about this law of love in, in the book of Romans, that I won't do anything to make my brother stumble. And we're definitely living in a context of a culture where the beer, uh, the strong drink, and all those types of things are ruining many lives and so that's why I always try to tell people you don't need it you don't need to get drunk to relax you don't need to drink you know to be a better person just you know you ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit you're you're just you know great the way you are you don't need that type of intoxication you know first Peter 5 8 it says be sober be vigilant because your adversary the, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and so we got to be careful. Ephesians 5.18, I always tell you guys this all the time, and do not be drunk with wine in which is a wasted life, but be filled with the Spirit. So you know how when you're drinking, you get under the influence and you say things and you start getting violent, you start flirting, a whole bunch of stuff, right? Um, you're under that influence. Now what we want to be is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And if only people would be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I think the church today needs to be baptized and the Holy Spirit because there's not that fire. There's not that passion. There's not that hunger. There's not that desire to find out, hey, what am I supposed to do? And then you go out and you just recklessly follow the Lord with this surrendered love. And so a huge verse. Uh, we could spend a long time on it. Very, very relevant. And so I pray that none of you would ever come near that you know I'm so grateful my kids I know they're still young but man we just drilled this into them over the years I'm so grateful you know my son told me the other day he said dad I, I would never do that people tempt me at work all the time he says but I know the danger of it and I know the type of person that I am and so you just got to hear it over and over and over again please don't make someone or anyone stumble Verse 2, it says, The wrath of the king is like the roaring of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own life. And so, you know, you got the king, you got the one who's in authority. And so he says right here, it's dangerous, man. It's like a roaring lion, right? And so you definitely don't want to go against the one who is in, the, in control. You know, but Proverbs 19.12, it says, His favor is like dew on the grass and so you get in good with the king not because you're you're kissing up to him but because you're a good citizen you know 
And so you don't come against him, but you actually, you know, find favor in his sight. To me, I think of Jesus, don't you? When you think of the king, I mean, we're talking about presidents, we're talking about governors, we're talking about human rulers, but here we're talking about a king. And so that's why I think of Jesus. And, and you guys, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you, I love you, I thank you for being nailed to a cross for me, then you find favor with him. And it's like the dew that falls down, it's the blessings from above. But if you provoke him to anger here, it says you sin against your own life. And so someone gets judged, someone gets you know, disciplined, uh, someone even perishes, they did it to themselves. That's what the Bible says. Now verse 3, it says, It is honorable for a man to stop striving, since any fool can start a quarrel. You know, and I like that word honorable there. Don't you guys like that word? Honorable. You know, did you ever connect the fact that if you, you know, hold your peace, if you overlook a transgression, if there's a, someone who insults you and you don't retaliate, that that's honorable? And how much we need that, huh? I mean, big time. Anyone can start a, a quarrel, you know? It, it doesn't take much. It really doesn't take much. And most of us here, I don't know if you're the same way that I am, but most of us here, you can just right like that, you get it, you can explode. Someone looks at, looks at you the wrong way. You know, just a little word, a little something, a little lie the enemy puts in your mind or whatever. And next thing you know, you know, it's World War Three, And that can happen. I'll tell you what, I, I'm the same way. But um, praise God, when someone starts something, it's honorable. It's honorable for you to, to stop it. Verse 4, it says, A lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. And so again, we've been seeing this throughout the Proverbs, an encouragement to you, uh, just work hard, you know, work hard. Uh, I don't know how it works in your life, a certain amount of hours per day. Uh, I know in the Old Testament, uh, they would have six days of work and then one day of rest. And that, to me, it makes a lot of sense. You know, maybe you have five days at work and then one day of work at home. Huh, guys? Right? You got those honeydews that you got to do at home, right? And then there's one day where you just kind of rest. I know for me, to be honest, the way that it works for me is my Sunday, in, in one sense, is my Sabbath. You know, because even though I get to uh, teach and, and, and there's things here at the church, it's not crazy work. And so, you know, for the rest of the week, for the most part, I would try to keep busy. But for us, what we see right here is that the lazy man, uh, he's not going to plow. Maybe it's too cold, you know, because of winter. Um, but then when harvest times comes, he has nothing uh, to show. And so, again, another reminder, you guys, that wherever you're at, do it with all your might. Do it with excellence. Work hard. Verse 5, it says, Counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. And so this is a little tougher verse for me to interpret anyways. You know, when you look at this, uh, it might mean that we draw it out of others, this counsel. Or it might mean that we draw it out of ourselves. That, that's kind of fascinating when you think of both aspects, really. One person said a discerning man can help another bring to the surface his true thoughts intentions or motives often a wise counselor can help a person examine his true motives and thoughts he may not fully understand otherwise and so basically you know you start talking to someone you start asking them questions uh, you start making them think and the next thing you know they they've drawn something out of themselves that they never even knew was there that can happen and what a blessing that is when you have those types of experiences. And so maybe it is, you know, drawing it out from someone else. Um, the Hebrew word here, it does mean uh, counsel, uh, counsel, uh, the advice. And so really the proverb tells us it's like, it's like deep water. It, it can be challenging to get those things out, um, but a man of understanding is able to do so. And so whether it's counsel for yourself, uh, from yourself, or counsel uh, for others or from others, 
we have to uh, kind of have those conversations. We have to dig deep, dive deep, get into God's word. Uh, we have to, you know, if you could think of a well in those days and they would let the bucket down deep, right? That's what we have to do. And when we do that, God will give us wisdom from above. And so that's what I'm supposed to do with my life. So that's the decision that God's leading me to. Because you weren't just a surface saint. You, you went deep. Uh, verse 6, it says, Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? And so it's interesting what it says right here in, in verse 6, how, um, and this is probably worldly men, huh? You guys are Christians. Uh, I think all of us here, we know what the Bible says, and we know who we are apart from Christ, and we probably wouldn't say, hey, I'm good. You know, I got it all together. A lot of guys out in the world would but not us, right? But anyways, he says here, generally speaking, most men, they say they're good, uh, but the, true, the, true, the truth is, it's hard even to find a faithful man. Very difficult to find a man who will be consistent, who will follow through with their word, who will show up. Uh, most of the time, it's hit and miss. And yet, faithfulness, is one of the most important attributes of all. First Corinthians chapter four, it says, Paul says, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And so that's like the one thing that God is looking for in our life is faithfulness, consistency, you know, and not, not, not success, not, not fame, you know, not like, hey, he did the, you know, the big grand things, no. Uh, at the end of the day, if this is what God's called you to do, all he wants is that you're faithful there. And so a big question, I know for me, when I read this, it's not like he's just saying a statement like, hey, Manny, it's hard to find faithful guys, huh? No, it's not. It's like, hey, Manny, how about you? Will you be faithful? I called you to pray. I called you to read. I called you to study. I called you to teach. I called you to do whatever it is that you need to do, especially with your family. And so we always have to take it to ourself. You know, verse 7, it says, The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. So parents, how many of you parents, you want to bless your kids? You want your kids to be blessed after you, right? That's the, the biggest thing in my whole life, right? In my whole life, Lord, you know, because he put that type of love inside of us for our kids, right? And so we want them to, well, how is that going to happen? Give them money, you know, force it, shove it down them? No, you, it says right here, walk in your integrity. You know, the righteous man is a man that is saved. Uh, the imputed righteousness of Christ has come into his life. And he's also, I think, sanctified. There's that imparted righteousness. Why? Because he's walking in his integrity. It's not just a positional righteousness. It's a practical righteousness. It's a day-in, day-out righteousness. Not a perfect man, because none of us are perfect. But when your kids look at you, they're like, man, you know what? He's, he really loves the Lord. He's really sincere. He's a man that has the fruit of the Spirit, right? And so they see that, and that then blesses our children more than we could ever even begin to imagine. And so, does that guarantee that every child of a sold-out and surrendered saint is always saved? And of course, we know that that's not necessarily uh, how it works every time because every child must make that choice. But this child, whose, whose parents are our parents of integrity, this child has a greater chance and they will be blessed if they are in a family whose mom and dad are really walked the talk. Verse 8, it says, A king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters all evil with his eyes. And so you can visualize a king there and he's sitting on the throne and he's making his decisions. How is he scattering the evil? What does it say right there? He does it with his eyes. Now, how does he do it with his eyes? Because he looks into things. He looks into things. He prays for discernment. I will tell you this, that I can see most clearly when I pray. 
And the Lord shows me things about myself. The Lord shows me things I believe about others. And, and, then, and then you look into it and you find out what's going on. And you just get rid of the evil. Now, some of you guys, I will say this. You might have to do this at your house. No, no, we're not going to be watching that. That's, that's evil. Uh, I'm not going to be looking at that. I'm not going to be listening to that. We're not going to be doing that in this house. Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. You know, your house should almost be like a church. Your house should almost be like a sanctuary. And so it applies to, you know, homes or, or different types of organizations. Here we see it applies to a king. He's just getting rid of the evil. He's eradicating the evil. And he does it because he's able to see with God's eyes. Verse 9, it says, Who can say I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Uh, uh, only Jesus, huh? <laughs> if you were to answer that question, he's the only one that could say that. Uh, I'm clean. I, I have no sin. Uh, on this side of time, we'll never arrive. We'll never be perfect. On this side of time, we will always be vulnerable. I was so grieved. Not that I'm gossiping, but I think that we need to take heed to the warnings where there's a pastor, famous pastor, Justin Bieber's pastor, and he just got uh, caught in, in adultery. Now, do I say that to gossip? No, but I say that, you know, to again, take a warning. You know, we have to be so careful in these things. None of us have arrived. None of us are invincible. We're all vulnerable and we all fall short. Now, who can say, he says right here, I have made my heart clean. And who knows, maybe you're here and your hands are clean. That's cool. You're not doing that stuff anymore. But what about the heart? Because God looks at the heart. And so right here we see how important it is. Our hearts, uh, when it's just our hearts, we're in big trouble. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Lord knows our hearts. And so none of us here... Or in that place where we're invincible, we're all vulnerable, we're all unfortunately uh, unclean apart from Christ. And so we can never say on this side of time that I have no sin. One day we will when we go on yonder. I was even thinking of Ruth Graham. You guys uh, know Ruth Graham, right? Billy Graham's wife, amazing, amazing woman. There's a documentary on her life. So amazing what God did through her. But on her tombstone, as she has it written, it says, um, uh, End of construction, thank you for your patience. I like that. I think I should probably put that on my uh, tombstone and I'll dedicate it to my wife, man. You know, hopefully we'll get raptured, but you just never know. God's just working on us, huh? We're under construction. None of us have arrived yet, but thank God for the blood of Jesus Amen. that washes away our sins and so Proverbs here just reminds us of these things in verse 10 diverse weights and diverse measures they are both alike an abomination to the Lord and so God again wants us to be honest in all of our transactions it's so important that he considers it an abomination if we rip people off and so remember in those days they had the scales when they, they had the little stones and supposedly you put your you know, grain on this side and this is supposed to weigh a certain amount. And so, you know, that's how you bought things. That's how transactions were made. And so if you had dishonest scales or dishonest weights, then you could rip people off. And unfortunately, like I said earlier in the beginning, we're living in a crazy world where people don't have conviction. They don't even have a conscience. And so they'll do it just like that. And we're going to read it three times in our proverb today. Verse 11 says, Even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. And I was thinking of little Eli right here. He's such a good little boy. And I'm like, man, it's obvious. Not because of something he said, but what he's been doing the last few weeks. He's just been sitting there listening to the Bible study, man. It's amazing. You know, even a child is known by their deeds. We are known by our deeds. Not our t-shirts. Not our parents' faith, not our history, not what we say, but what we do. 
Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7 and verse 16? He says, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? Yes or no? No, right? Or do they gather figs from thistles? Of course not. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit, there's a warning, is cut down and thrown into the fire, Jesus says. Therefore, by their fruits you'll know them. So it's not, and again, I'm so blessed that you guys come out to a midweek service. I think you do get rewards for that in heaven, some points. I'm pretty sure there's at least five points for that one. It's pretty commendable in the world that we live in today because everybody is so busy doing their own thing. But, um, you know, that doesn't say that you're right with God. Um, the bumper sticker, you know, doesn't say you're right with God. Um, it's the fruit. It's the fruit that you bear. Are you bearing good fruit? Do you, would your kids describe you as a loving person? Would they describe you uh, as describing Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit? That's what we have to shoot for. Just because we claim to be Christians, it shouldn't settle in our souls. There has to be good uh, fruit that follows evidence that brings uh, that humble confidence. I know that little boy or little girls or that guy or that gal, there's purity there. There's righteousness there. I've seen in their life. Verse 12, it says, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. And uh, I, I wish I had more time to just go over the fascinating way that God has made our ears and our eyes more complex than any cameraman has ever even begun to contemplate or invent or use um, but to me I'm so grateful for these eyes and the colors and these ears and one person even said that this verse teaches against evolution because when God made the ear he made a hearing ear and when God made the eye it wasn't a wart that somehow <laughs> you know evolved into an eye it was a seeing eye and so what is that what is that why why does he even say that it's just to me, I think it's because he wants to remind us how awesome God is. And every time you take a look at your child, or every time you take a look at something beautiful, give God the glory. You take a look at the sunset. You take a look at these things that our eyes see. Give God the glory. You know, every time you hear good music, and what an awesome way the way our ear is created with all those little hairs in there, and this the, the, the spiral, and all this stuff, man. Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said hair on the ear. <laughs> I'm talking about the ones real far inside that are supposed to be there. Um, I mean, just how the Lord made that is it, just so amazing to me. That's what Solomon is saying. Wow, the hearing ear, the seeing eye, the Lord made both of them. Verse 13, do not love sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with bread. And, and what we see right here, this verse right here definitely goes hand in hand with verse 4 again. The, the lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. And so how many of you here love sleep? You're like, I have to admit, I do love sleep. And say, listen, okay, it's okay to enjoy a good night's rest. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Every day I wake up and I say, Lord, thank you that I was able to fall asleep last night. Because some people can't fall asleep. Thank you that I slept through the night. You know, that little hibernation, recharging period. It's a miracle to me. And then I always tell them, thank you for waking me up. But we know sleep is beautiful, right? It's okay to have a good night's rest and enjoy it. And it's even okay to get your siesta, your nap as God allows. But too much sleep and, and in, in loving sleep like that, it leads to poverty. And so what does he say? Open your eyes. Just open your eyes. Even though you feel like just kicking back, open your eyes and get out of bed. And what's going to happen? You're going to be satisfied with some good bread. Verse 14 says, It is good for nothing, cries the buyer. But when he has gone his way, then he boasts. How many of you guys have done that? You know, even us haggling in Cambodia. Ah, oh, I don't know about that t-shirt. I can get it for... 
you know, uh, cheaper down over there on that side when in all reality you're not telling the truth or something, right? And so I, I know, I know that sometimes you're supposed to haggle and they expect you to haggle. But to be honest, when I think about the poverty there in Cambodia, I would just said, you know what, you do it for me. Here's my money. You go and, and get your, your, the t-shirts and things that you're going to get because I feel bad because, um, you know, they're so, they're so poor. But uh, a lot of times we see that you go to a garage sale. Oh, it's not really worth much. Let me ask you guys a question. If you went to a garage sale and you found a million dollar antique there, but the owner didn't know the value of it, what would you do? You know, some people would probably just buy it, right? You're aware, but the owner isn't aware. He's just cleaning out the great, great, great grandpa's garage and, you know, they don't understand. And so, you know, the question is, do you tell that person? Do you inform them? Hey, you need to know this is worth a million dollars. Take it down to the local museum or wherever it is and you get your money for it. Or would you be someone who could say, man, I could use a million dollars right now. Hey, mister, I'll take this piece of junk off your hands. I'll, I'll give you $20 for it, even though it's not worth that much, right? And so um, God says stuff like that, it's an abomination to him. And so for us as Christians, you're like, well, how does it work? I want to get the best price for things. And I, I don't know. I just know that we have to be honest in our business transactions. God just wants it, you know, fair, a good price for the seller and a, a good price for the buyer. And we're going to see that again in verse 10. God just does not want us to rip people off in the world. A lot of times they brag because they can hustle someone down. But God says, hey, I don't like that at all. Verse 15 says, there is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. And so God's message obviously is more valuable than money. I'd much rather have a wise friend than a wealthy friend. And some people, they think, of, they think twice about that. I remember um, where my mother-in-law lived, she had a very wealthy neighbor, a very wealthy, and I hope they don't watch this video or anything. When, but um, I remember uh, certain people really wanted to have them as friends because they were very generous, they were very nice, and, you know, you need a, a new car. I mean, they'll pretty much get you a new car. That's the type of friends they were, neighbors they were, right? And so, um, you know, a lot of people would like, I'd like to have a friend like that. But if you had to choose between a wealthy friend or a wise friend, which would you have? According to Proverbs, it says you should want the wise friend better. And that even made me think, I'm like, Lord, wow, I have a lot of wise friends. I have a lot of wise guys that surround me, you know, and I'm so rich. I'm so blessed. That's what he's saying right here. It's really what he's saying. You know, uh, to Shelly and I, we don't have a lot of jewelry or bling, to be honest, but we are blessed with brothers and sisters and teachers with lips of knowledge. Verse 16 says, Take the garment of one who is surety for a stranger, and hold it as a pledge when it is for a seductress. And that word seductress, it might refer to more of a stranger or foreigner or uh, basically a woman you don't know. And so what he's teaching there is that when you're doing a loan for someone, and let's just say that person you found out is co-signing for someone else, in other words, they're not good stewards, then you need to be a good steward by basically asking for collateral. You know, in those days, if uh, you gave a loan uh, to someone, you could take their jacket uh, as collateral. Uh, it was very valuable back then. You'd have to give it back at night, but still you could keep it during the day. Um, and so what he's saying right here is if you're in that business situation, use wisdom. And so I, I do think that we need to be good stewards uh, of our finances. Verse 17, it says, Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. And so again, you know, I'm like, Lord, and as I read through the Proverbs, and especially as I share them with you guys, I'm like, Lord, I, I hope that they get blessed. I hope that they walk away 
with reminders and maybe even new things that they've learned that will make a difference in their life and will keep them in the sphere of blessing, you know? And so here we see again the, the aspect of, of deceiving someone and you're making money and it's dishonest and there you are with your pan dulce and you got it, you got it in, in a deceitful way, right? Because this bread is sweet, right? And you think everything is good. You got away with it. But notice it says, you might want to circle that word, but afterwards, eventually the day comes up when your mouth is filled with gravel and you wonder about that word gravel well what's what do you mean mouth filled with gravel and i, I don't know reading a little bit on this uh, it, it's almost like god gonna kill that person you can take the word that letter l off and what word do you end up with grave god doesn't mess around especially those who know better so so we should never ever be deceitful uh, verse 18 it says plans are established by counsel by wise counsel wage war and so you guys know it's good to have a plan to be honest i think if you fail the plan then basically you plan to fail but it's going to be very difficult to have good plans if you don't surround yourself with good counselors who allow you to speak into your who allow you allow them to speak into your life right and so you know you're you want to man you want to have these this counsel you want to have the wise counsel but but why and he says right there the, the for in this case the reason is because we are in a war and, and again you're reminded of that huh sunday we talked about that we are in a war there's a war for your soul, there's a war for your marriage, there's a war for your children, and you better be fighting for them. There's a war for your church, there's a war for your nation. And so we really need to make sure that we have wise counsel. Verse 19 says, He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. And so a tail bearer, that's kind of an interesting word. And basically what Solomon is saying here is that the tail bearer is someone who maybe gossips or maybe they just, they just can't keep a secret. You know, they just got to let it out. They just, you know, like, and then it just comes out. I just got to tell you. And so, you know, sometimes you guys, we can't tell everybody everything. I can't tell even my wife everything because I'm the pastor I'm made to bear certain things that she's not and so you got to be able to know when not to say stuff right here he says you reveal secrets you know and then there is gossip to it but it's just more to it it's just information that shouldn't be passed on and so basically what he's saying right here is it's I know it's difficult but um you know, if someone's a flatterer, then you need to be careful of that type of manipulation. Solomon even says there really shouldn't be a lot of association with that person. You can't really tell them secrets. You can't tell them maybe things that you wanted to. And a flatterer, you know, so you think of a flatterer and you're like, okay, well, what's a flatterer? And it's d difficult to discern uh, someone who's trying to flatter you know, because maybe there's a genuine compliment that someone wants to give you or they're just nice. And at the end of the day, some of us probably know some people who are just edifying. It seems like everything they say, it builds you up. And so, you know, we learn all those types of things. We're not wary or, or you know, suspicious of everyone. But God will show you. God will show you if you ask him. Verse 20 says, whoever curses his father or his mother... His lamp will be put out in deep darkness. And so again, just, um, just practical things, you know, like you definitely don't want to be someone who, who curses your parents, no matter, even you might be thinking, well, they weren't the best parents. You never have the right to curse them. They gave, you know, your mom gave birth to you and, and you have to respect them. You have to honor them, the Bible says. And right here it says that if you curse them, your lamp will be put out. That means you're going to die. The Proverbs, I mean, the, the, the Ten Commandments does say 
that when you honor your parents that there's a general principle of living a longer life so number one is you're, you're gonna die and then number two not just die look what it says right here his lamp will be put out in deep darkness and so that's a heavy heavy warning to children if you still have your parents uh, I encourage you to take this one to heart you know back in the Old Testament they took it so uh, so seriously that in Deuteronomy 21 18 through 20 you guys remember the law uh, I, maybe we should reinstate it it says like if your kid gets out of the line you can take him down to the city gates and you can stone him to death remember <laughs> and so some people will be like oh no you know absolutely not we never I don't know if they ever did that in, in the Old Testament but that was a law to express God's heart but I tell you what, if, if things like that were at least, uh, uh, you know, in some sense, there was that in, in parents' hearts and in society's heart, there would not be any juvenile halls, I'll tell you that much. But we're living now in an age where it seems like it's, it's getting worse as far as kids disrespecting their parents. You know, Jesus spoke of outer darkness three times in the Gospel of Matthew. And so um, right here, he says that his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. So just a warning. Verse 21, an inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. And, and so in one sense, inheritance, to be honest, is are, are dangerous because the ones who gained it didn't really earn it, right? And so a lot of times they don't appreciate it because of that. Now, it doesn't mean that giving or receiving an inheritance is bad because we also know that's biblical, but it just needs to be thought out well, prayed over, sifted through slowly, not hastily. Who do you leave what to? So don't just make decisions like that or receive things like that in, without praying. Verse 22 says, Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. And so, you know, the, you're going to get them back. God says, don't have that type of heart. You know, let me take care of it. And, and what he says right here is interesting. Uh, wait for the Lord and he will save you. And so, you know, you don't retaliate. You don't. And I'll be honest with you. We've all probably been in situations where like, you know, I used to be this type of person, man. And I did, when someone did me wrong or someone did my family wrong, Someone did whatever, I'm, I'm going to go take care of it because I remember one dad, you know, he, he you know, and I, this is hard to share, but you've heard stories like this, man. He, he just beat up somebody who, who did something and, and he just said he needed that. Yes, we said that guy needed that. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how all that works. I will say for us as Christians... The, the Bible says right here, we don't compensate evil. We, we do things within the parameters of the law and we wait for the Lord. And what does that mean? That sometimes it takes time. So you have to wait for the Lord. And it's interesting even what it says right there. He will save who? He will save you. He will save you from the, the bitterness. He will save you from the hatred. He will save you from the ramifications of that retaliation. And so trust the Lord. He saw everything. He sees everything. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, there is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so wait for the Lord. Verse 23 says, Diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord and dishonest scales are not good. And we read this pretty much earlier right um, God is just saying it I, I always tell you guys repeat it so we won't be defeated that's why God says it over and over and over again be meticulously fair and squeaky clean when it comes to business transactions I know that for me uh, I don't know about you some of you guys are smarter I, I know there's no doubt about it I, I just need to hear it over and over again I like hammer it inside of my heart Lord hammer it I need to hear it okay all right I think I'm beginning to get it verse 24 says a man's steps are of the Lord how then can a man understand his own way 
And this is a deep verse right here. We don't have time to unpack it too much, but remember I mentioned earlier how we got to make those plans and we got to do our best to take good steps, right? But here we see that even those steps are of the Lord. You know, Proverbs 16:9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so, you know, Lord, I would love to do this, and that's your goal. And man, maybe as you're shooting for that goal, it's exactly what God wanted, but God may totally reroute everything. The main thing is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. See, you acknowledge Him, and then, man, He helps you in the very steps that you take. If it's difficult to understand our steps, even though we're you know, trying to, to make that stand, how can we possibly understand the big picture? We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen next week. We don't know what's going to happen next month or next year. You know, for the most part, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, I think this is probably my life. But, but God says, Manny, you don't know. You don't understand everything I have. And so that, this, it just, to me, it's applicable in so many ways because I think a lot of times we are seeking the peace that comes from understanding when God says, in all reality, I'm, I only offer you that peace that passes understanding. You're never going to be able to figure it out. You won't be able to figure yourself out. You won't be able to figure out other people. Don't try to, because you'll frustrate yourself. Just keep your eyes on me. Trust me. Now, I remember reading a story about Augustine, and he mentions the weeping prayers of his godly mother when he traveled from Carthage to Italy. She was anxious that as he was no longer going to be under her influence, he would sink deeper into sin. But in the end, this very journey is, it seemed to be wrong. It was direction going the wrong way, but it was what paved the way for Augustine's providential conversion. And he wrote this to God. And if you could listen just for a second, listen to what he wrote. He said, in your deep and hidden counsel, Listening to the cardinal point of her desire, you did not grant me what she then asked for in order to accomplish in me what she always asked for. As his mom was weeping, as his mom was praying for her son, and it looked like you know he was, he was trying to make this decision to go the wrong way, and she's like, Lord, don't let him go that way. Don't let him go that way. And God said, I'm not going to answer that prayer because it was in that sinking way that he was eventually saved. So I'm going to answer the big prayer, but not that prayer. And so we don't understand. We don't understand why did God allow that? Why does it seem like things are going backwards? Why? And you can say that forever. We don't, we won't understand. But we trust him. Like Henry was saying earlier, we, we don't know the future, but we know who holds the future. That, to me, that's all that, that matters. You know, in, in light of this truth, there was a song we used to sing a long time ago, and I'm going to sing it to you right now. You guys remember that song? Every move I make, I make in you. You make me move, Jesus. Every breath I breathe, I breathe in you. Every step I take, I take in you. You are my way, Jesus. Every breath I take, I breathe in you. Waves of mercy, waves of grace. Everywhere I look, I see your face. Your love has captured me. Oh my God, this love, how can it be? And I like that because that's what he's saying right here. Look at verse 24 again. A man's steps are of the Lord. So every move. Verse 25, it says, It is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy and afterward to reconsider his vows. And so this is describing a person and, and right away, they, they, they say, um, this is God leading me, whatever it might be, you know, we're going to get married. Right away, you go down to Las Vegas or, or right away, you know, without really taking it to God. You're like, oh, I want to get involved in that ministry because it's holy and it's totally God. And, and it was a rash decision. You said it was holy, but it wasn't. And so afterwards, he then, you know, reconsiders his vows. And so really what the proverb is saying is don't rush or go hastily into something 
claiming it to be holy in that sense if it's not necessarily something that you brought to the Lord in prayer. Because when you make your vows, it says you got to keep them. Verse 26 says, A wise king sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. And to sift out the wicked with the threshing wheel, it just basically speaks of the separation of the wheat and the chaff. And so, you know, as a, as a wise king, there's, ways, there's different ways of doing that. Um, you know, of course, comparing a king to, to a president or maybe a leader or, or a pastor, there's different dynamics in that. But I will say this, that you do want to separate the wheat from the chaff. You know, there's some guys, some gals, you know there's substance there. There's like what I talked about earlier, there's that faithfulness. And sometimes it's just a chaff, and, and part of you wants to go after them, you know, grab for the chaff, but in one sense, sometimes God says, you've got to let them go. And so you've you got to be wise, looking, sifting as you're leading. Verse 27 says, The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Now again, this is one of those verses that's so, it's so deep. The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. And so nowadays, you go and you got an issue going on. Uh, poor Eliana, the other day, she, she was trying to do a cartwheel. You guys remember the story? And she ended up uh, breaking her arm in two places. It was a trip, looking at her arm. And so um, they had to take her to the doctor. And what did they have to take? An x-ray, multiple x-rays. Sometimes we have to take a, whatever, a CAT scan, an MRI, because you have to see it is imperative that you see what's going on inside. What's going on inside. And that's what he's saying right here. It's the spirit of, of the man. He's, it's the lamp of the Lord. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians. Uh, he said that it, what, who knows the man, but the spirit of the man inside of him. And so you, start, you have to start looking at things, not just from the outside, not just from a human perspective, physical perspective, a worldly perspective. It has to be something going on inside where you're searching your heart. Right here, it's the spirit of the man searching all the inner depths of his heart. You know, the, the inner man. Uh, you guys know the way that we're made, right? We're trichotomy. So it's good to know that you are body, soul, and spirit. Okay, so before you're saved, your spiritual man is dead. You still have a soul, right? And that soul, if it doesn't, you don't get saved, that soul ends up in hell and the lake of fire forever. So you're physical, you got the soul, you got the spirit. But then when you get saved, the spirit part of you becomes alive. And not only that, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. So there's a lot going on inside of us. And you can read 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 and Hebrews 4 and verse 12, it talks about the distinction between the soul and the spirit, right? And so the soul in one sense is the self-conscious part of you and, and the spirit of the man is like the God-conscious part of you. The heart, and you're like, there's a lot here, the heart, the inner depths of the heart is in one sense the very essence of who you are, the center of your intellects, emotions, and will. And so when you get with the Lord and he starts looking inside, and you're like, well, why does he want to look inside? The same way the plumber wants to come in and put that camera in your plumbing and show you all the cloggage that's in there or whatever. The same, what, this is what's messing you up. You have to deal with it. This is what you need. Your heart is broken. Jesus said, let me heal it. And so verse 28, it says, Mercy and truth preserve the king, and by his loving kindness he upholds his throne. And so earlier we're talking about a king that's sifting out evil, and he's sifting out the wicked, and now you're talking about this guy who's all merciful and, and truthful. And you know, some might even look at it and see it as a contradiction, because now he just seems so nice. But, but basically what we find is that's how God is. Just as some people see the God of the Old Testament different than the God of the New Testament, because back then, you know, there was that holy, you know, wrath and, and judgment. And in the New Testament, for the most part, we see so much grace that came through Jesus, right? But, but what I found is that for, for a, a leader 
or, or a king or someone who wants to kind of, you know, stay where they belong, it, it requires both. You have to be, you know, just and, and ready to deal with evil and sin, but when, when there's someone that's hurting and maybe they've slipped or fallen or stumbled or whatever, they're not perfect, none of us are, you show them love, you show them mercy, you show them grace and from the heart and you forgive them. And I tell you what, when that's you and you have that same like beautiful balance that God has, God's going to keep you there because he knows that you, you know, you're a leader he can trust. Verse 29, it says, The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is their gray head. And my wife told me in this verse right here, she's all, babe, but babe, you're both. I'm all, yeah, right. <laughs> no, she didn't say that. I just made it up right now. <laughs> so, you know, you got the young guy, and the glory is their strength. And, and some people will look at the verse and they say, oh, it's a derogatory statement. No, I think you can see it in a good way. When you're young, you're strong. So what do you do with that strength, young men? You use your muscles to work hard. And so the glory of young men is their strength, right? But, but the, the, it's interesting, there's a different word. The splendor of old men is their, their gray and that word splendor, it means ornament or majesty, even honor. And so basically, if you're young, you, I like what Ray Comfort said, use your gray matter and listen to those with gray hair. I like that. <laughs> you know, if you're young, use your brain. Listen to those who have gone before you. The strength and enthusiasm of youth without knowledge that comes by experience is a recipe for a disaster. We can think of someone like Samson. Certainly had a physical strength, but he lacked the wisdom to use it wisely. Last verse, verse 30, blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. And so, um, have you, there's another proverb, an American proverb. Uh, have you guys ever heard this one? No pain, no gain. And doesn't that hurt? You're like, man, you gotta say that in church. It's true. And we are going to go through de very difficult times in life. I wish I could stand up here and tell you guys, hey, man, you're a child of the king and nothing bad is going to happen to you. And, you're, you know, you're going to be healthy and wealthy. And then one day you're going to go to sleep and you'll be there. You know, boom, you're in heaven. No, you know, we're going to go through crazy, crazy times. Right. Uh, but, you know, God is accomplishing his purposes. It's OK. You don't have to freak out. Um, uh, you know, God is accomplishing his purpose. One of the things he's doing among many, because God is so efficient, is he's cleansing away evil, right? And, and that to me, that's the most important thing. Lord, make me more like you. I must decrease and he must increase. And if that means I got to go through the heat, through the fire, through the pain, so be it. Psalm 119.71, it says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. And Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And that's what we want. We're not going to be perfect, but Lord, please, meddle with the middle, Lord, please. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Let my heart be clean. Amen.